Um, we are in a series uh, we've been in for the last couple of weeks. We're going to be in through the end of August uh, on the book of Ecclesiastes called Meaningless. And, and we're just simply looking at the question, if this life has meaning, what is it? What is the meaning of this life? What is the meaning of this existence? What is the meaning of it all? Is there a meaning? Could there be meaning? God, if there is, could you give us a clue on what it could be? I mean, maybe you've gone through a season like this or or something like this, a season of wondering, does any of it matter? Uh, If I could be very honest this morning, that was all of last week for me. Um, God has this annoying habit of not allowing me to preach on things that he's not bringing me through. And, and, and all of last week, there were legitimate, legitimate anxiety and depression and worry about God is anything that I, because all I seem to be doing is painting someone's stupid house and playing music while they're inebriated at a wedding reception. Is this the grand sum total of my life? What the crap? And there was just this insistent feeling of meaninglessness. And, and I don't say that to have anyone feel bad for me. What I do, I, the reason I say that is to say, we go through times. None of us are immune. I really thought I would have been when I signed up to do this pastoring thing for a living. God, I'm your dude now. Smooth sailing from here on in. No, it's, it, it is none of us are exempt from those moments of worry and doubt. And maybe you found yourself in a place like that. Maybe you find yourself right now in a place of that. But here's what I'm going to tell you because it's what I have been telling myself all week. Because of Jesus, we can be confident and have faith to know that even in what feels like the most meaningless of seasons or situations, when our circumstance is placed into the hands of God, he can bring such substantial meaning to what we deem is meaningless. I heard a pastor say once, even a mess when put in the hands of Jesus can turn into a masterpiece. Even a mess put into the hands of Jesus can be made into a masterpiece. So there you go. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Or if you have the Bible on your phone, you can go to the app or whatever. If not, uh, we've got got Bibles back at the Welcome Center. If you don't have a Bible, um, if if, if you've got kind of the, 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 the teen Bible that maybe you've grown up having and you're like, you know what, maybe it's time for a more grown up looking Bible. We've got grown up looking Bibles back at the, uh, the Welcome Center. Those are free. Uh, you can take one. You can take a few. Uh, give them to some friends. Keep one from yourself. That's our gift to you. But uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. And, uh, and so here we go. Uh, this is what uh, Solomon says. He says, again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who, are all, who have already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. 
And I saw that all the labor and all the achievements spring from man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The fool folds his hands and ruins himself. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Verse 7 says this, and again I saw something meaningless under the sun. Again, we've seen over the last few weeks, if Ecclesiastes were a band, it would be Dashboard Confessional or The Smiths, something just uber. Like when you're reading it, again, and this is my example because this is what I feel like. You can literally see Solomon putting on the black eyeliner and lighting the, the, the individual candle in the dark room and listening to like The Smiths or something like that. Like like this dude is just a bummer. But he but verse 7, but again, we've all been there. I saw something meaningless under the sun. Verse 8, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There is no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. If you've ever been to a wedding, maybe you've heard this before. Two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can, def- two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Let's dive into this because there's a lot to get through. And I know I got the mic about five minutes early. Let's see if I get over early. It's probably not going to happen. I'm just letting everybody know. We got a lot to go over this morning. There's a lot in these 12 verses. Um, What I'm about to say may sound like I'm blaming, and it's not that at all what I'm about to say, but, uh, but we live in an age, we live in a social media information overload age where it seems like we are hit in the face over and over and over and over, continuously, without ceasing, all the things that are going wrong in this world. Man, we are in a day where we see the worst of people the moment that it happens. We see the worst of ourselves in the way that we respond to the worst in other people. And and we have visible reminders daily, not even so much daily and not even hourly, but minute to minute. We have daily visible reminders of the oppression and the injustice that exist everywhere in our world. It is downright insanely overwhelming, and I get caught in a place of wanting to do something. I get caught in this place of wanting to do something, but I have this, this conviction that even, even though I want to do something, it doesn't solve everything, so if I'm going to try and do something that doesn't solve anything, why should I do anything in the first place? Because if it doesn't solve everything, what's the point of doing something? And I miss out on my opportunities of doing something because I feel guilty that it's not everything. It may just be me, but that's where I live. Um, If I can't solve the world's problems, why be a part of trying to figure out the equation? Why do, um, if you haven't noticed, um, I'm a white 35-year-old male. When I read um, the first part of this chapter, And it deals with the topic of oppression. Honestly, I wish I could say I have an understanding of what that's like, but I don't. I'm kind of speaking outside of my experience. 
Um, I'm, I'm speaking out outside of my experience of, of what I know, but I can speak to my experience of what I've been called to do. And Solomon gets really like, I mean, forget the candle. It's just like a room of dark. Like it's a room of dark. And, and, and Solomon goes on to say, dealing with the oppression and the injustice that exists. Uh, he, he, Solomon, he says, man, I actually, more than living, I actually favor the dead. Over being alive, I favor those who have already died because they're not existing in the evil that, ex- that, that, is, that is running rampant in this world. And then he takes it a step further and he goes, you know what? I actually feel worse for the dead and I'm more, I feel best for those who have not yet existed because they have no concept of this evil. There, there, there's no concept. I mean, these are big statements that Solomon's making and, 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 and the, the reality is we can see the injustice going on. We can see the brokenness. We can see the oppression. But truth bomb time, people, if you and I are broken, sinful people, we are a part of the same brokenness that breaks our hearts every day. We're a part of the process of brokenness. It started in Genesis chapter 3, and we have been driving around the cul-de-sac of brokenness the entirety of our existence, round and round with the evil and the brokenness and the injustice. I mean, I, I, I want to think that in my, in my own way, I am, I've evolved beyond it, but trust me, I haven't. And I need Jesus every day to put me in my place to see people the way that he sees them, to love people the way that he loves them, because if it's, uh, it's, if it's up to just me, we're screwed. Do you know what I mean? Like, if it's up to us, man, we're goners. We're done. We drive around this cul-de-sac of brokenness wondering why it hasn't changed, so what do we do? Well, well, we can quit and do nothing, which Solomon points out. We can quit or do nothing. We can fold our, we can fold our hands and, and, uh, and ruin ourselves. Or we can do something. Even though it's not everything, something, something, right? I would rather have a piece of pizza than a whole, uh, if it was a choice between a whole pizza or a piece of pizza. If I can't have the whole pizza, I want the piece. If you've been following me on Instagram, I've never met a piece of pizza I didn't like didn't get along with <laughs> well I'll eat it it's pizza it's a gift from Jesus but we have to understand that God may not call us to everything but he calls each of us to something we are called as the church we are called as followers of Christ to do something even if it's not everything. And so we read Ecclesiastes 4. We, we, we get a sense of the pain. We get a sense of the aching. But, but Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 3 through 5, this is what God says to the prophet Jeremiah. I should have, I just precursed it. It says it in there. It says, this is what the Lord says. Do what is just and do what is right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor the one who has been robbed. Do not wrong or do violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. And do not shed innocent blood in this place. Man, God is going to bring us to certain things. And, we, and again, we may not be able to solve all of it, but God says do something. Proverbs chapter 31, starting in verse 8, 8 through 9 says this. It says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute. 
Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Pastor Matt and I were just having this conversation this morning. When it comes to the difference between, it's amazing how closely urban church planting and rural church planting are because they may be different. Uh, um, uh, what was the word you used, Matt? They may, and, and I used the wrong word. I said socioeconomic. That's right. Culture, thank you. Uh, they may be different in culture, but the process feels very much the same. Planting this church felt very much like planting uh, the, the campus that I was at when I started in ministry in Faribault, Minnesota. And we had this conversation of the fact that the difference between poor and rich when it comes to our context of the city is not a very thin margin. Like, it is incredibly vast. And so it is very easy to see the people that God has called us to stand up for. It's very easy to see the people that God has called us to come alongside with. And, and we're called to do that. And it may not fix everyone's problem, but we can be a part of the solution for something. And we can be a part of the solution for something it's all about that one starfish, right? That's a stupid poem, and I, I was hoping, but it's, just, it's dumb. Don't forget I said that. We all have a part to play. Oppression and injustice are real. We can't do everything, but we can do something, and and. And that's a, a process that God has been working on me with. When we were planting, uh, we were, we were start, before we started this church, I would meet um, uh, twice a month with, with a mentor, um, a church planting mentor. I, I had the privilege of meeting with one of my, my dear friends, uh, a guy named Roger Stacy. Um, and, and, and Roger, I picked Roger up and we drove to somewhere we were going to go eat and, um, and talk about church planting. And we were having this conversation, and it was right at the beginning uh, of summer. And um, it just seemed like there was just this overwhelming uh, amount of homeless people standing on every corner. And I, I, I would drive by it, and I would, I would, and, and I would have something to give one person, but I would see three more and get so overwhelmed by the need that I wouldn't do anything. I would, I would be caught dead in my tracks in guilt because, again, I couldn't solve it all, so I, I chose not to solve any of it. And I had this conversation with Roger, and I said, I feel so guilty all the time because when I drive, I like, I try to, it's like, it gets to the point, guys, and this is just me being honest, where I will avoid four-way stops. I will take a 30-minute longer route as to not get to a four-way stop because I get utterly paralyzed. And I had this conversation with Roger. It's like, Roger, what do I do? How do I solve the problem? And he goes, it's not your job to solve the problem. It's your, sol it's your job to solve the problems that Jesus brings you to. And Roger told me uh, a story that I'd known about all throughout the, uh, I've known, I've read, I've read it numerous times, but there's a, an instance where there was a man who, who was lame from birth and, and, and there was this pool. And, and it was believed that when uh, the presence of God kind of hit the water, it would bubble, and the first person with an ailment in the pool after it bubbled would be the, would be the only one in that moment healed. And so these people would kind of gather around this pool and they would wait and they would watch, uh, I mean, sickness and disease and ailments. I mean, it was, it was a place that no decent person would go because decent people don't associate with people like that. And the scriptures say that Jesus walks up to this man and he asks the man, do you want to be healed? There's moments where 
My parents told me that if I ever had a question to ask it, because no question is a stupid question, but I would disagree with them on that point. Jesus walks up to this man. He says, do you want to be healed? I've been sitting here my entire life, Jesus, and I can't get into the, of course, I want to be healed. And Jesus says, then you're healed. And it says the man picked up his mat and he walked away. Um, I don't like thinking about this because this is not good PR for Jesus, but how many people did he walk by? That's not to say that Jesus' love for the multitude is diminished. Not that our love for the multitude is to be diminished, but you'll know when it's that time. And it may not solve every problem, but we can be a part of the process of bringing hope and healing and life to those in which God brings us about. You're saying, yeah, but I'm only one person. Don't worry, Solomon touches on that next. He touches on that next. And so, uh, so uh, but the reality is that life is hard. It's unfair. It's broken. It, it, there's so, it, it's overwhelming the amount of things that need to be done. And I look at myself again, and I will go out of my way to not feel guilty because I can't solve all of it. But guess what God had plans for? He had plans for community. He had plans for relationships. You and I, we were never meant to exist on this island unto ourselves, but we were created in the Garden of Eden. The only thing that God said was not good out of all of his creation was that man was by himself. And so God, in Genesis, forms the first community. He forms the first friendship. He forms the first of what would be many of what we have been created for. We have been created for community. We are desperate, and in a very deep way, with Christ at the center, we desperately need each other. We need each other. The people you're sitting around, you need them, and they need you. It's not an accident that you're in this community that we happen to call Motion City Church. It's not by accident. You are here with a purpose, on purpose, for a purpose, and you may not serve one day of your life in this church, and that's fine, but the most important thing is that we exist in community because we have been created at the base level of our humanity for that community. We have been created to move into the personal space of those that are around us, to move in the same direction as those around us as we follow Christ, as we follow, or as we walk with one another as we follow Christ. We have been put in each other's lives to speak into each other's lives. We've been put in each other's lives to call out some things that may be uncomfortable at times and may be inconvenient questions to ask, but we've been called to be a part of this community. We've been called as believers in Jesus to do life together to walk deeply with one another, to know one another. The scripture says to confess our sins to one another, to challenge one another, and to grow one another. And, and, and I, I, I would be very surprised if this was new information to a lot of people. 
We, we, we throw the, the phrase around as churches, it's usually at church events, this phrase, doing life together. This is, this is not new, and I, and, I, and I don't think I'm unpacking anything profound or new for anybody today, and, and, and I don't think many of are hearing it for the first time, and if you are, fantastic, glad you're here. Um, but the, the majority of people that exist in the church, the majority of people who are followers of Christ, we know that we've been called as believers to do life together, to walk deeply with one another. And the question that, um, that I found myself asking was not, is this taught anywhere? Because we talk about it a lot. The question that God kept bringing up to my spirit was this, why do so few of us have relationships like this? We settle for Facebook when God calls us for intimacy. We settle for dandelions when God has called us to be a garden, deeply rooted in our relationship with Christ and our relationship to one another. Why are there so few of us that have relationships that like, like this? And the, reality, the truth is we all should. We all should have relationships that are so deep and uncomfortable at times it moves us towards Jesus. I refer to, to them as uh, open fridge policy friendships. Um, my best friend uh, goes to this church, um, Nate Mueller, and, uh, and, and, and here's, here's how me and Nate's relationship works. <laughs> He's not here, so I can share this. I'm going to share two things. First one's uh, weird. Um, we had a get-together at their house with a bunch of people, and all of a sudden there, there was a conversation that started with, where did Nate and Steve go? And Jen jokingly said, well, they're probably laying in bed talking. And that's exactly where we were. We, we got away from the crowd, and we just kind of just talked. And we, and we were, it was, it's very weird. Don't look at us any differently. We love our wives very much. But, um, but that's, that's his and my relationship. Uh, also, if Nate were just to show up at my house, walk past all of us, take a drink out of the fridge, and then leave, that would not be unnormal. That's the t when Nate asks me a question and I ask him a question, many of the times those questions can be very difficult. But I love him enough to ask those questions, and he loves me enough to push me in a way that maybe I don't want to be pushed at that time, but he knows for my own good that I need to be pushed that way. Does it make Sometimes leaving a conversation is more awkward than laying in bed having a conversation with one another, but that's just how these relationships are meant to be. Why is it so difficult? Well, Solomon's already answered these questions. He's given us at least four things out of this text that, are absolute, that will absolutely derail any chance you have for deep, real, meaningful relationships and community. Are you ready to know what they are? I don't care if you are, but here we go. Verse 4 says this. And I saw that all labor and all achievements spring from man's envy of his neighbor. This, too, is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Uh, thought number one that will completely derail any chance you have of deep, real relationships or community is jealousy. Jealousy will always derail your chances of deep relationships. Because jealousy is always rooted in our disbelief that God would give them something without giving it to me. 
Uh, it, it, it's, 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 uh, it's believing that you deserve what God has chosen to give other people. Man, I have dealt with this my whole, whole life. Man, I, I have sat under some of the world's greatest worship leaders, and then I'm leading worship up this morning, and it's like, that was awful. Like, it's just those moments of, don't respond back to me, Mom. I'm talking to the people. God, Mom. Jeez. No, actually, thought number one, moms can derail. You're, no. <laughs> and I wonder, God, why didn't you give me that gift? And I can find myself, the roots of jealousy begin to make their way into my heart and into my spirit and into my life where all of a sudden I actually find joy when something doesn't go well with another person. I mean, when it comes to our relationships, jealousy, there will always be a shallow limit to your relationships when jealousy takes root. You, we are called, the scripture says that we are called to rejoice with those who rejoice and grieve with those who grieve. And we have to address the evil that exists within our hearts before Jesus in the process of living life with Jesus, allowing God to uproot those, those shallow roots of jealousy that we've, that we've allowed to creep in so that we can rejoice with those who rejoice and we can grieve with those who grieve not celebrate with those who grieve because we're secretly secretly jealous of the gift that God's given them I mean jealousy will derail your relationships uh, verse 5 says this uh, the fool folds his hands and ruins himself it's a very short verse but it's a very powerful verse this speaks to laziness man laziness will derail your relationships it'll derail community um, when I got married uh, I was, I had a very idealistic idea of what my marriage would be like. I walked into marriage, and this is not going where many of you think it's going, but I thought I was walking into marriage being enough for Jen. And the truth is I'm not. I'm not enough for my wife. Because my wife exists with a space in her life that could only be filled with something eternal, and that's not me. And so for the first two, five Last week, I battled with God because, man, why am I not enough for my wife? And God's very uncomfortable answer was, because you're not me. You are a temporary relationship. I am an eternal relationship, so quit trying to be me. I wasn't frustrated that I wasn't enough for Jen. I was frustrated that I wasn't God. And so in our relationship, I've had to very painfully watch Jen walk through seasons where I can do nothing to solve it where I can do nothing to make those circumstances better. I can do nothing to fix the problem, and I so desperately want to fix her problems. I'm not enough. Why do I tell you all of that? Because intimacy takes work. Intimacy 
takes effort. You will never get to intimacy with God or with others by simply being lazy. It will not happen. No one simply trips over a Bible and and stumbles on the fact and goes, aha, the Bible says that I'm known and fully known. Therefore, all my problems are solved and all the discomfort and all the wonder and all the worry and all it's it's solved because I tripped over. No, 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 no. The relationship with Jesus is actually a lot harder than we give it credit for. A relationship, let me say that again because maybe that's something you, a relationship with Jesus is a lot harder than we give it credit for because we are called to be intimate with our Savior and you will never be intimate with your Savior until you speak the things that he knows you battle with in your life already, but intimacy doesn't just pull bad out. It invites evil to be approached so that God can begin to do the thing that only God can do through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is bring us to this place of, of, of righteousness, of sanctification. Sanctification, a church word, is in the process of becoming more like Jesus. So we will be sanctified when we're with Jesus, but in this life we are in the process of sanctification, but intimacy takes work. Lazy people will never know intimacy because lazy people continue to be leeches that suck the life out of healthy, good relationships because it's all they know. They want to have sex, they just don't want to have the baby. Intimacy takes work. Verse 6 says this, Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. This speaks to dissatisfaction. I, I was a youth pastor for a lot of years. I was a young adult pastor for a lot of years. And one of the conversations that I always had with people was, well, someday when? I always had conversations, well, someday when fill in the blank, someday when this happens, someday when that happens, someday when I get that job, someday when I meet that person, someday when I get this raise, someday, someday when I get to the, we have this dissatisfaction, and, and I'm not opposed to looking towards the future, I'm opposed to looking towards the future in a way that you miss what's happening now. Because there's amazing things that are happening right now. And many of us will miss it because we're so geared towards the future. We have a dissatisfaction in our present, so our, our hope is the fact that the future's got to be better than this crap. The future's got to be better than this situation. The future's got to be better than this. And what if God wants to teach you the most valuable lessons through your most difficult seasons? What if in your, in your greatest season of loneliness, God wants you to, to discover what it's like to have a deep relationship with him and with others? Man, but, but again, if we're continually dissatisfied and looking towards the, 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 the non-existent yet, we'll miss out on the things that God has for us today. I spent so much of my life dreaming about what could be instead of living in what is right now. And it's very difficult for me to break that habit. This is a process that God has been bringing me through. Um, I used to teach um, uh, breakout sessions at church conferences on, on social media because I was, I was a social media whore. Um, everything, these are the words we use in this church. I'm just sorry, sorry mom. Um, but, uh, but I was so busy trying to catch the right thing that I was... I was looking at something and I was missing it. I was trying to take pictures of my kids playing without actually just seeing them play. 
I was trying to create spontaneous moments. And the Lord really began to speak to my heart and being like, you're, you're, everything that you're showing people, you missed. Because I'm so desperate for those hearts. I'm so desperate for those comments. And I'm so desperate for all those things that don't matter because someone's going to get more hearts and comments and likes than my picture. So why worry about what's going to happen two days from now? Because, again, I'm so desperate for those hearts that I actually just miss out on something incredible that God would have me experience. I was dissatisfied. I was so stuck on a better day tomorrow that I forgot to realize that Jesus has unbelievably good things for me and he has unbelievably good things for you now, even if you're in the middle of a meaningless season. In verse 8, this is a weird one. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless and miserable. Something that has the potential to derail community and relationships. And this is very, I'm going to explain this, but work. We are so busy. And we are so often busy with things that we were never intended to be busy with. Uh, I was reading a, a, a not frequented magazine that, I, that I, I was reading the Wall Street Journal. Be impressed for a moment. But uh, I was reading the Wall Street Journal because the topic of the, of the article that I was reading is the Wall Street Journal was trying to discover who the happiest people in America are. Uh, and, and, and the truth of the, of the matter was, as I read through the whole article, the, the, the happiest people in America are not those who overspend themselves so that they can overspend their finances to acquire the newest, the best, and the brightest, because whatever was new and best and brightest one day will have lost its luster in the next. The Wall Street Journal discovered that those who have margin in their life that exist with gaps for the enjoyment of life are actually those who are happier. The people who work themselves to death may have more stuff, but the people who create space are happier. It's amazing because the Wall Street Journal just agreed with the Bible. It was such a profound thing. It was such a profound realization that, 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 that they were trying to answer a human question and they, they tripped over an eternal principle. We were meant to work hard as humans. That's just part of life. We were meant to work and to work hard, but our lives were not meant to exist for work. And we have got to learn to create gaps and space in our life for community. Now, we, we talked about community groups this morning. We just had our Brotherhood Bible study this last Saturday. During the school year, we have girls' night. Uh, during the school year, we also have a ladies' group, sisterhood. We've got Feed My Starving Children. We've got all kinds of things. And these are not just things because we know that you've got that small gap in your calendar, and we're going to fill it with something Jesus. The reason we offer those things is because when I stand before God one day, 
I'm not simply responsible for my life. I'm responsible for yours. I'm responsible to God in part for your relationship with him. And I don't want to stand before him one day and have him say, you had all, you, I gave you 30 people. I gave you 300 people. I gave you 3,000 people. And you simply just thought it was about them coming to hear you speak. I want to stand before God and, with empty pockets. And I gave him every opportunity. I wanted them to be, I want you to be in community. I want you to have friendships that are deep, rooted friendships. I want you to have relationships with each other that don't, that, that don't even hold a candle to some of the other relationships you've had because, man, as we all move towards Jesus, let's all move towards it together. So we're not simply offering these things because we know you've got free time in your calendar. We offer these things because we believe it's the best for us. Like, we have brotherhood Bibles, and I don't care about any of the guys because it is always, I walk out of there being so blessed and so encouraged and so challenged, and I, and, and I need that. I need those other guys around me to speak into my existence because, man, I don't have it figured out. I don't have it all solved. I don't have all the problems of the universe figured out because I'm a pastor. I need people, and you need people. So all that to say, there is a lot that God has called us to do. There is a lot of things that God has called us towards. And yeah, we can't solve everything, but we can do something. But think of how much more we could do if we all did something together. And that comes with being in relationships and being in community with one another. Jesus himself had 12 and out of those 12, he had three. And out of that three, he had one. We're just following after Jesus. Lord, thanks for this time. Thanks for your word. I'm going to pause this prayer because I had a question to bug him with, Lord, so forgive me. question I want you to wrestle with this week is this. What's keeping you from the kind of community that God's created you for? You can open your eyes. This is actually like a real screen thing. I paused my prayer. I told Jesus I was pausing the prayer. He's cool with it. Uh, <laughs> what is keeping you from the kind of community God's created you for? Is it jealousy? Is it laziness? Is it dissatisfaction with your own life? So if you're dissatisfied with your own life, you've come to assume that other people would be dissatisfied with yours, or is it are you just too busy? Picking back up, Lord. <laughs> Dear Lord, it's Steve again. God, thanks for the reality that when we read your word, your word actually reads us. God, help us in this culture that so desperately tries us to make, island, make us islands unto ourselves. God, would you help us buck the system? Because God, I need these people. They need each other. So God, help us really wrestle with this question of what are the things that are keeping us
from this community that you've created us for. And God, I pray or that you would bring it like a steel-toed boot to the forehead, right to the forefront of our minds, of our existences. And God, would you, would you help us deal with those things? Because God, I may not be rich in money. I may never be rich in money, and that's not the point. But God, I, I, I feel very blessed to be very rich in relationships. And, and God, help us, like we talked about a few months back, help us to just be rich in what matters most. And, and that involves community. Because it's the one thing we were created for. And it's community with you and with others. So Lord, thanks for who you are. You love us so well. I'm so grateful for you. You're just, you're just awesome. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen, guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Hope everybody has, uh, enjoys the cool weather.